Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I love, I love hearing the stories. I, I've enjoyed these last three weeks. We've got one more next week. We're kind of taking the month to celebrate our 35 years of being a family. Amen. Adding to that and as God continues to grow us, lots more, lots of you. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I, in the bathroom, I violated man code in the bathroom and I spoke and uh, thankfully they let me back in. But uh, <laughs> uh, I was just, it was the anniversary service and I was just curious thinking about you know people because we not only celebrate a faithful God, we celebrate faithful people. I mean, we can have a great vision and a great God, but he, he works through people, amen, coming together and working together as a family. And so I just asked randomly, three guys were there and I asked them, I said, how long have you been here? One said 18, the next one's 18 years, next one said 21 years, the next one 26 years. And I just, I thought, man, thank you for doing life together that long. And I just appreciate all of you that have come here because God has called you here. You put your roots down and you become part of a family. It's more than just going to a service, amen? It's a family doing life and ministry together. And so thank you for your faithfulness. I wanna thank the the Garza family. I remember uh, so many years with them and they're such a great blessing. Let's give some more love to the Garza family for sharing their story. Thank you guys. Awesome. I know, I know you and your family have a story. We'd love to hear it. You can go online and tell us your story. Let us know about it. It's encouraging and faith building. And please take the time to do that. We would appreciate it. God continues to add to the family. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 16. We're in a series. While you're turning there, Matthew 16, 18. Let me just update you on a couple of things. Again, we shared this last week. We'll do it the next couple weeks so everybody knows. You saw signs coming on the campus. You got an insert coming in or a handout about uh, our new rule for safety and protection. Your safety, for your safety, no backpacks or satchels or bags of that sort. Uh, the reason why we did that is because we are constantly working to make sure that your experience here is safe and secure. We know that we live in a world that's changing faster than ever before. Uh, the day and age that we live in, we not only need to be full of prayer and full of the Holy Spirit and praying for safety and protection, we need to do all we can in the natural. That's an expectation God, of God. Know what you do spiritually and, and know what you need to do naturally. And that together creates the greatest possible environment for people to connect. And so we thank you for your cooperation on that. I think we all would agree that's a, that's a good role when you're coming to church. Um, I know when you gather, well, large gatherings in different places, whether it be sporting events, they all check bags and things of that sort. So uh, thank you for cooperating with us. It's meant just to keep everybody safe here. And so we just need to be not only uh, in prayer, uh, prayerfully uh, about the safety and protection of this campus, but we need to be wise. And we have great men and women that serve to help us do that. So I know that you guys are, are great with that. Help us walk that out. Uh, as you heard on the announcements, fall harvest, fall harvest. Uh, the fall is harvest season and the natural and spiritually speaking. We are working very hard and, and you can see all the different departments working to create environments for uh, a big harvest for the kingdom of God. But we need you to partner with us. We need you to help invite people. We got invite cards you can get out at the, at the Welcome Center. The ushers have those. You can go online, direct people to online. You can forward social media. I uh, see all the things that we have going on. But every department, the men's department, the women's department, the uh, marriage department, the uh, youth and, and children's, all across the board and in here, we're endeavoring to prepare for a great harvest season. Amen? And we're covering it in prayer. We're in 21 days of prayer. You can see our prayer night on the 24th. Come on out. We're praying specifically for the harvest. So let's all get on board. Take advantage of the opportunity provided for us of harvest season. And let's work together to bring in a great harvest for the kingdom. Amen. 
Let's do the work of the Lord. All right, so let's go ahead and get ready. Matthew 16, 18. Uh, we're in part three of our series, doing a series called The Measure of a Great Church. Uh, let me say this. We are looking uh, at God's um, interpretation of greatness, if you could say. We're not worried about what man thinks per se. We want what God says is great for a person or a church to be great. So we're trying to find those principles in the word so we can live up to those because we want to be doing what he's asking us to do and we want to make maximum impact our time here on the earth. So the measure of a great church is its people. I'm tag teaming a series my dad did in 1995, the founding pastor, uh, called The Measure of a Great Church. His heart and his vision for Tree of Life, I believe, is still the heart and vision for Tree of Life. It's given by God because it's God's church and it's timeless. Uh, different leaders like myself will get there in a different way, but it's still the same heart, same vision, same spirit given by God. Amen? And so I'm tag teaming. We're playing some audio clips. Uh, my dad, as you shared, his heart. And uh, so I believe that you can hear and see the heart of the founder. See, we're still on course, on track with that, and then understand where we're going into the future. So uh, last week we talked about people of purpose, that we are to be people of purpose. You can go back and get that or listen to it online. This week we're going another direction, and uh, I want to start here in our founding scripture, or rather our foundational text for this series, Matthew 16, 18. Let's go ahead and read that. And I tell you, and this is an exchange between Peter and Jesus. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And so he says, you are the Messiah, the soon coming king, the redeemer, the rescuer, the savior, son of the living God. Jesus' response said, I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock, the foundation of your revelation, I will build my church. Say, my church. Okay, that's weird to say that because it's not really your church, it's his church. But he's expressing, Jesus is expressing that he is the designer, the architect of the church. It is his church. Today, this is not Pastor Don's church. It's not Pastor Don Sr.'s church. It is God's church, amen? It's his church. And so we build it on the revelation of who he is. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There is no force on the earth that can stop his church from doing what God has called it to do, Amen. And so let's take a look at that scripture in the Amplified. I love it here. It gives us a bit more understanding. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, Greek, that's Greek for Petros, a large piece of rock. And on this rock, Greek for Petra, a huge rock like Gibraltar, I will build my church. Again, Jesus, it's his church. And the gates of Hades, the powers of the infernal region, shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. There is no force on the earth and hell, no amount of demons, or however you want to say that, however you want to say that. There is nothing that can stop the church of Jesus on mission, amen? For those that believe he is the redeemer, the, the savior, the, the son of the living God. And I, I love that. And that's, that's a foundational scripture for any church, or should be. We believe that here at Tree of Life, that he is empowering us and equipping us as his church for a mission, because if it says it cannot hold out against it, that speaks that we are to be moving forward, and as we are in forward motion, then nothing can resist what we are doing in line with God's plan and purpose. So let me say this, the enemy's only hope is for you and I to do nothing. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, you read the same scripture I read, right? So the enemy's only hope is for you and I to do nothing. And I got to thinking about that, and I, I don't know about you, but I love the Olympics, and I'm, but I'm ready for them to be over because I'm losing sleep at night. It's on late, and I'm watching all the replays, and I got to get some sleep. But I love it. I'm looking at all the things and checking all the medal counts and all kinds of stuff. I love that. But my favorite is watching the 100-meter sprint, and I love Usain Bolt. I just, can't, I just can't wrap my brain around a human being being that fast, that effortlessly. 
And so this is his third Olympics. I'm thinking, your third Olympics, and you're still the fastest man on the planet. Where are all these young guys coming up? How come they can't beat the old guy, right? He's 30, right? The old guy, right? And I'm like, how come you can't beat that 30-year-old guy? And he still just wins by huge margins. It doesn't look like he even tries. And then I, th- and I saw the American guy, because I'm going, USA. And I see the Justin Gatlin guy, who still tr- is trying and trying and trying and still can't beat the guy. And I thought, what would it be like to be second, the second fastest man to Usain Bolt? And I said, and I was talking to someone the other day, I thought, man, just think if he was born at a different time, he'd be the fastest man on the planet. Right? His only hope is that Usain Bolt doesn't show up. Can I say, the devil's only hope is we don't show up, church. His only hope is that we don't do what we're called to do. Because he cannot hold out against us. He cannot operate to our detriment. It is impossible when we're doing what God has called us to do as his church. And we have a mission to move forward. We're not to be in a defensive posture. We're not to be sitting back, taking a break. We're not to be on autopilot, cruise control. I mean, come on, 35 years, let's take a break. No, we cannot take a break. As long as there's one person that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are on mission, amen? People are dying, going to hell every day. They need us to be a tree of life. And so we need to be focused, move forward. We're moving forward in faith, reaching people. And again, it's fall harvest time. That's why if you're not serving somewhere, you need to sign up and serve for fall harvest because we are believing to bring the harvest in. That means we need more harvesters, amen? To bring in a greater harvest, we need more harvesters. We need your gift, which is why God had gave it to you, to join with us to bring in the harvest. So we're not sitting by, we are moving forward and being a follower of Jesus and doing the things Jesus did, therefore being a disciple of Christ. And I wrote this down, I want you to get to this this morning. That's the measure of a great church. Not how many seats are occupied with people, but how many people are occupied with Jesus. That's the measure of a great church. Not how many people are occupying our seats, but how many of our people are occupied with Jesus. Are you doing what he's asking you to do? And that's the measure of a great church. As the founder said, we've heard many clips already, that the measure of a great church is the people within the church rising up to do what God has called him to do. Be, be the disciple that God's asking him to be. Walk in the power and authority that he's given to you and I and reach the lost. And so today's message, today's measuring of greatness, if you will, by God's measurement is the prayers of its people or being people of prayer. Last week we talked about being people of purpose. This week we are to be a people of prayer. Turn to Acts 19 for me. Let's take a look in the scripture. Here's what it says here. Acts 19, well, let, let me set it up for you. We're gonna take a look at a church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus today would be found in modern day Turkey. It was one of the major cities back in that day. Um, in, in context of the Roman Empire, it was one of five free cities in the Roman Empire, which means it did not have a Roman garrison there. And that's important to note this morning because what that says is Ephesus was just like Rome. Rome was so confident and comfortable with Ephesus as an ally that they weren't worried about any rebellion because they were just like them meaning they were just as, uh, as uh, worshiping the same gods they worshiped. They worshiped Caesar. They worshiped many other gods. Uh, they were just as corrupt, just as immoral, just as dark. It was a huge city, one of the biggest cities known of that day. It was one of the darkest cities and was an ally of Rome, meaning that they were of the Roman mind. But because of its location, it also was one of the wealthiest cities. It was a crossroads into the Asia Minor region from Rome. It had a huge port there, and it had great influence round about it. Again, Ephesus was very wealthy, very influential, but very dark, very corrupt, very immoral. 
But in this place, God planted a church. God planted a church in one of the darkest places on the planet, one of the hardest places, one of the least likely places for a move of God. And so let's take a look at the church in Ephesus in the midst of all this and see what's happening. Acts 19, starting in verse eight, it says this. Paul entered a synagogue, or the synagogue, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, what Paul was teaching, so Paul left them. He took the the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, Tyrannus is a medical school, so it's a very prestigious place. So listen to what's happening. In the synagogue, the religious crowd came against the message he was teaching and preaching. So he left there, and you know what he did? He went to plant a church in the local school. I mean, that's kind of today, right? That's a lot of places people started. Tree of Life had time and one of the local schools. So he went to a local school, the medical school, and he began to teach there with his disciples. So really, it's a church plant there. And listen to this. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks, say all, listen to this, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Come on, are you kidding me? A church plant that got rejected by the religious crowd became a church plant in a school, had such influence that in two years time, all the Jews and Greeks in in the Asia, province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. That's a church that's doing something for God, come on. That's a church that's getting it done out there in the midst of one of the darkest, most vile places on the planet, they are making a difference. Here's this little church in this huge corrupt city full of evil, getting rejected by a religious crowd, taking not just Christians or followers of Jesus, but disciples, people that do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said and coming and believing God and trusting God, knowing that no matter what, even in the greatest, most darkest place on the planet, the light of God can still shine. And in two years, the impact that they had is really amazing. There's so much happening here by the disciples and things that are going on that people begin to take notice in so many other ways, but now people are trying to imitate what they're doing. It goes on to say this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched him, uh, touched, that he had touched him were taken, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. All this in a dark place. It goes on to say this, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out uh, evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, his seven sons were doing this and one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? To which we would assume their response would be, well, I'm a follower of Christ. But can I tell you, there are many followers, but few disciples. Remember Paul took his disciples? It said Paul took his disciples and went and planted this church. People who are believing the things of Jesus, doing the things of Jesus, thinking like Jesus, acting and responding like Jesus. But then there's other people that really just kind of want to play the church game and saw obviously so many things going on, miracles. They say, I want to be a part of that, but they had no relationship. They had no relationship with Jesus. And then it goes on to say this. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, beat them up so bad that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> it doesn't pay to play church. Can I just tell you right that? <laughs> the devil's gonna beat you up and you're gonna run around naked and bleeding. I mean, that's just the, the bottom line. But it pays to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So here we find this church in the midst of just great darkness having huge impact, 
The people, the disciples following Jesus, walking in the things that Jesus did, operating the way he operated, and lives are changed. What we see is so much darkness being pushed back. They were confronting the enemy and it was evident to everyone. Let's go on uh, here and finish out this. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. What that means is that here's people that were kind of playing the game and not working, and then they're seeing people that really followed Jesus as disciples, and that made people look and say, you know what, there really is something to be a disciple of Christ, not just a follower. And so they realize that this message is not a powerless message. It's a real God, a powerful God, but you gotta know him. You gotta be a disciple. You gotta be pressing into who he is. Many of them believe now came openly and confessed what they'd done. They, they, they realized that this isn't just about playing church, it's about knowing Jesus. And so they were convicted and they wanted to change their lives. Many of those who believed now came and did that. A number who had practiced sorcery brought all their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When I read this, this makes me laugh because I remember back in the day in youth group when all of a sudden the big movement came about. We all had to bring, all had to, my parents made us bring our tapes and CD, rock music tapes and CDs to be burned. Right, come on, who can tell me that? I'm still thinking about all the money I spent on Anyways, that's another story. Okay, here we go. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they came to 50,000 drachmas. I think I spent that on my rock albums. And anyway, so it goes on to say this. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In a dark, vile, terrible, corrupt, immoral place, darkness could not keep the light out. Amen? When the church does what God's called it to do, darkness cannot hold out against it. How is this possible? How can a group of believers come together, believe in Jesus as the Son of God, believe the Word of God, become disciples of Jesus, do what he did, preach the Word, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils? They didn't sit around doing nothing, they did something. And that's our mission. Light increased and darkness decreased. I want you to hear from our founder. See, the, the, the darkness in this dark place couldn't stop the church from growing and maturing, couldn't stop it from walking Christ-like, couldn't stop it from witnessing Jesus. Couldn't stop the word that they were sharing and living, touching the hearts of men and drawing them to Christ and getting them saved. It couldn't stop the anointing of the Holy Ghost going forth, praise God, to confirm his word with signs following. It couldn't stop devils from being cast out in the name of Jesus. Darkness could not stop them. This little church wasn't there just in a holding pattern saying, thank God I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, over and out. This church was growing in the things of God. Unashamed of Jesus. Knowing that darkness could not encroach upon them, deter them from whatever God had called them to be personally as a church, and could not withstand them as they began to press against darkness. For what purpose? Just to fight devils? No, to set people free. To save them, deliver them, draw them out of the pit of hell and darkness. Get them healed, deliver, get their families out of dysfunction and abuse. Get them restored, ready for heaven and release. Glory to God to go forth and press against that realm of darkness, wherever it be found. Darkness cannot hold back the church. It's impossible. The only thing that can hold back the church is the church. The only thing that can hold us back is ourselves because it is impossible for darkness to overcome light. In fact, I want to share this illustration. I do this every uh, candlelight service. I love it. I think it's so powerful. I've had, I brought a lantern so they could light it here this morning. And you might say, you know what? I want my light to shine. I want to push back darkness, but, but the darkness is increasing in my life. It's so challenging. And, and I totally get that. The world we live in is getting darker and darker, but what a great opportunity for the light to get brighter and brighter. And so the, the example this morning is this, that no matter how dark this world gets, it cannot overpower the light. Remember Matthew uh, 16, it cannot, the, it cannot overpower it. 
So let's make it darker in here. Let's just see this example here, that no matter how dark it gets in here, in our world, that it cannot overcome the light. Bring all the lights off. Now, did the darkness affect this light in any bit? No, it's impossible. It's the same principle. It's impossible for darkness to overcome light in the natural and in the spiritual. And we need to understand that, church. Because yes, we live in a world that is getting darker. The Bible's very clear about that. But for you and I, the devil cannot stop a church in four. motion because darkness cannot overcome light. It's impossible. You can bring the lights back up. Bring those back up. It's impossible. No matter how much the darkness increases, it cannot overcome light. Now I can diminish my light. In fact, on this thing, I, I, won't, I won't do it, but I, I could turn the lantern down and, and make the flame smaller. I could even cover it with something like the Bible says, don't hide your light under a bushel. I can cover it, but that's not what we're here to do. Why would we do that? Why would we do that when darkness cannot overcome light? The only way the enemy wins is if we don't show up. So what are we afraid of? Come on, what are we afraid of? Why, what are we afraid of? Why, why would we be afraid to raise our hands in worship and praise? Why, why would we be afraid to sing out strongly and boldly, I believe in you, the God of miracles? Why would we be afraid of sharing Jesus with people out in the, in the pub, in public? Why would we be afraid of laying hands on people in H-E-B or Walmart? Why would we be afraid of serving somewhere? Why would we be afraid of giving tithes or offerings unto the Lord? What are we afraid of? What's holding us back? Because it's not darkness. Now, I don't want to be insensitive, but don't come to me and say, but Pastor Don, the darkness, and I would say, cannot overcome the light very lovingly and caringly. What's a, what are we afraid of? What's holding us back? Because darkness cannot overcome light. The church of Ephesus, however, wasn't always operating this way. They were doing some great things, but something changed along the way. Something happened, which typically does in our lives as well. Let's take a look in Revelation chapter one as we look at this. As we look at their light being diminished, I want you to understand it doesn't mean darkness prevailed over light. It means the church did not do what it was supposed to do. People did not do what they were supposed to do. Revelation 1, 10 through 20. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. This is John. He has a vision and it's Jesus coming and sharing with them. I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Listen, in Ephesus, which is what we're talking about, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see who the voice was that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Hold on to the lampstand. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, walking amongst them, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, like the Son of Man, sounds like somebody. The hair on his head was white like wool, of white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, bronze glowing uh, in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him I felt his feet though, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Who does that sound like? Jesus, I am the living one. Who's that sound like? Jesus, I was dead. Now, I, now look, I am alive forever and ever. Who's that sound like? Jesus, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Who does that sound like? Jesus, and it sounds like the guy who's building the church and says he holds the keys to the kingdom and death cannot prevail against it. Right, therefore, what you've seen, what is now and what will take place later, 
the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So once you get to the picture, this is Jesus visiting Paul, uh, John now, and he's giving me a vision. He's really giving a warning, and he addresses the church in Ephesus, which we're studying this morning. And he says, listen, they were great at one point in time doing great things, but now we need to warn them about something. And he refers to them, the seven churches, as a lampstand. So this church, when it says a lampstand, golden lampstand, is the church. Now understand this, the purpose of the lampstand is to hold a light. The purpose of the church, you and I, the church individually, the church universally, the church collectively as a local church, we hold the light, the light that is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We're to let our light shine, not hide it under a bushel. So he says the lampstand is the church which holds the light. The light is what makes a difference and drives away the darkness. It drives away the darkness. Now he's giving them a warning, saying they need to make an adjustment. And here's what he's gonna tell them. All right, chapter two, Revelation two. To the angel of the church in Ephesus now specifically, and he he writes something to every church, but the church in Ephesus write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not through the word of God and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now listen to what he's saying to the churches that are the lampstands which hold a light with lamp. He's like this. He goes, listen, you guys were doing great things. Man, you were doing it. You were making a huge difference. Your light was shining, driving out darkness, and something has changed. And he says this. He goes, you need to get back to your first love. Who is the first love of every believer? Jesus, who's the first love of every church? Jesus, and what he's telling him is somewhere along the way, you got more into works and not into a relationship. You forgot our relationship. And so he's saying, remember when you first got saved? And can I say this this morning? Do you remember when you first got saved? It's like falling in love, real love for the first time. When you fall in love for the first time, you wanna be with them every second of the day. You don't wanna be apart from them. You wanna talk to them constantly. You wanna fellowship with them. You wanna share your heart and your soul. You wanna hear from them. You wanna commune with them them. You want, to, you want to connect with their heart and you can't wait to see them again when you're apart. And he's telling these people, he goes, you've got away from that. Maybe you got caught in the religious stuff. Maybe you got caught in the, in, the, in the success stuff, but you've got away from the personal relationship with me. But you know what's being described here when we talk about getting back to your first love? We talk about connecting your heart. We talk about connecting through fellowship. We talk about talking to him, communing with him. We talk about uh, hearing from him, understanding. What are we talking about? Prayer. Come on, is that not prayer? Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is expressing your heart to God. And prayer is hearing God's heart when he responds back to you. Prayer is connecting in a personable, real way. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, the prayer that we pray is the oil for our lamp. And so if we don't keep the oil in our lamp, we're gonna forget our first love. If we don't keep the oil in our lamp, we're gonna dry up and not do what God has called us to do. We need to be people of prayer. If your marriage is dried up, pray. Absolutely go to Married for Life, absolutely get in small groups, but pray. If if your relationship with your kids is dried up, pray. Get back there with that first love and pray. If, if things are going dry in your life, then pray. Keep the lamp in the, keep the oil in the lamp full. Amen. Prayer 
intimacy with God. See, the church is the lampstand and the light comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about doing works and deeds. We're talking about heart. We're talking about relationship. And the more you grow and develop that relationship, hey, we're not talking about going Sunday to Sunday. We're not talking about going Sunday and Wednesday. We're not talking about going to the next revival, the next crusade, catching the next guy on, on TV or online. We're talking about every single day, communion, intimate, personal with Jesus Christ, our first love. That's what keeps the oil in our lamp. And if you don't keep oil in your lamp, this light is gonna go out. Not because of the devil. Why? He cannot overcome light. He cannot overpower, darkness cannot. You gotta keep oil in your lamp. Eventually this lamp, I don't know how long it'll burn, but eventually this oil right here will burn out. So you're never where you don't have to pray anymore. At some point in time, you have got to go back. But usually we wait till the flame's about to burn out. But it needs to be a day-to-day thing. Every single day connecting with them. It goes on to say this in verse five, or let me finish this out in verse five. Oh, okay. <laughs> let me go on to the scripture, guys. But you're, you're right though, I, I switched the order for Anya. Let's go to verse five. Consider how far you have fallen. You man, you did all these great things, you were awesome, now what's happened? Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, I'll get to that in just a second. But if you, look how far you've fallen, do the things you did at first, get back to that place. Let's play the audio clip. Understand something Jesus was saying to the people of that day and age. He said, listen, the church of that day in the Old Testament times and the church that he was looking to to establish the New Testament church, it is to be a church where people should come, glory to God, and expect the presence of God. To lift up their voices unto God and expect the warm, kind, gracious, uh, compassionate, merciful God to reach out, glory to God, and answer their prayer, enter into their praise and fellowship with them, praise God. Amen. And of course, in that day, Old Testament times, he was referring to a temple where the presence of God was. He said, when, I want, when you come into that presence, come through the sacrifice and the blood and expect again in the presence of God and for him to accept you, to wash away your sins, to bring you unto him, to restore covenant, to, to heal you, to deliver you, to bring blessing and good and strengthen you, to, for you to go out and live, glory to God. But today, his presence abides in every believer that is a temple and abides in the local church body and the church universal. And God is saying the church is for everybody to come and find the presence of God tabernacling with them with the intent they lift up their voice in prayer, they lift up their voice in praise and worship and glory be unto God. God is there to answer. God is there to embrace. God is there to heal, to deliver. Amen. On we go. Not only that, but wherever you go, Wherever you go, that sinner that comes up to you, glory be unto God, he's been mocking you for weeks and months and been watching you and listening to you from afar. All of a sudden, he's got a problem. He says, would you pray for me? Let me tell you something. He sees the light and he's wanting the oil and the life of God to touch his life, whether he deserves it or not. He said the presence of God is there. Amen. Prayer keeps the oil in the lamp. Let me tell you what oil represents in scripture. The presence of God, the anointing. 
When you study that in scripture, that's what all represents. We want the presence of God operating in our lives. We want the presence and power of God operating in our church. The way that'll happen is if we keep our lamp full and that happens through prayer. If we are people of prayer individually and we are people of prayer here corporately, collectively, think about the power and presence of God to set the captives free, to drive out darkness. But we have to keep our lamps full. Are you getting that this morning? You have to keep your lamp full. If you want the power and presence of God, the anointing in your marriage, keep being a person of prayer. If you want it in your family with your kids, be a person of prayer. If you want the power and presence of, of, of God in your life, in your body, in your finances, be a person of prayer and then be obedient to the things of God. But think about this, church. If all of us individually come to church on Sunday morning, not waiting to get our lamp full through praise and worship and the word of God, but come already full because we've been people of prayer. Think about the presence and power of God in our services for all those that have needs and things in their life that are bound up. Think about the darkness that can be driven out of the marriages, bodies, families, lives of those that come if his people will come with full lamps on a Sunday morning. See, we don't come to get our lamp full. We come with full lamps, amen? So the power and presence of God can work in our life and the lives of other people. And that comes from being a people of prayer. What is the measure of a great church? How, what is, what, what is the, the measure, uh, God's measurement of greatness of a church? The prayers of its people. Because honestly, the prayers of a people, they're not really for us. They're really for others. And God is about reaching people. See, we need to keep the oil in the lamp so the flame keeps burning because this light cannot be overcome by darkness, but we can allow it to burn out. And sadly, in many people's lives, marriages, we've allowed that. Churches, they've allowed that. But let's not be a people that is not willing to do what we need to do personally and collectively to be a people of prayer. Let's go back to verse five. Let me finish this and close. Verse five. Revelation 2, 5. <laughs> I got just one little phrase. Okay, there we go. I got one little part there. One little part. Okay, repent, do the things you did first. Listen to this. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now listen, this is not talking about your salvation. This is not talking about your value. God loves you and you're valuable. This is talking about your effectiveness. This is talking about your ability to be a light because the only way you can be a light is to have lamp in your oil. And if you neglect that, you will no longer be effective for God. And then all of a sudden, we might as well just have a big Amway meeting right now. What's the point then? If we let our lamps run dry, he's saying that we'll lose our effectiveness and and this world needs us to have our lamps full. This world needs tree of life and all those that would call it home to have it's their lamps full of oil because that, again, brings the presence and power and anointing of God to push back darkness that the enemy cannot overcome. And so we need to make sure that we are doing our job, we are making sure that we're keeping our lamps full so we can be effective and do the things that God is asking us to do. I'm gonna close with this. Paul tells the church in Colossia, devote yourselves to prayer. He tells the church in Philippi, do everything by prayer and thanksgiving. He tells the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. He tells the church through his pastor Timothy in Ephesus, tell the people to pray. The greatness of a church is measured by the prayers of its people. Let's keep our lamp full so we can drive darkness out of everywhere God takes us. Amen? God is a good and faithful God. Amen. Let's pray, let's pray, amen. Thank you, Lord. 
We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.